Well, good morning. good morning. How are we all? Good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see a lot of uh, fresh faces, first time guests. I have it on good authority that uh, we, our hillbilly quota is actually going up this morning. So uh, apologies for all this oxygen down in these uh, flatlands. I know you're used to thin air and uh, no natural gas, but uh, welcome anyway. Good to have you here. Uh, quick question. Uh, just asking for a friend. Uh, who, if you've got like a, a TV remote control, that the volume, the, it's got a number on it as you adjust, or maybe your volume on your radio in your car has got a number. How many of you have to adjust it to an even number? Asking for a friend. Any minute, have to adjust it to an even number. All right. Yeah, okay, good. Good. See? Oh, man. It's good. I'm proud of you. You got vulnerable. Listen, sorry, not sorry, that this is, the, the bad news for you is this is the last, uh, week of our series Road Trip with Jesus. Now, that's not the bad news. The bad news is it's week nine. So we're going to be finishing this series on an odd number. Sorry for those people with uh, some OCD. Good news for you. The best I can offer you is next week we're launching a new series and it's a four-week series, Victoria. Four-week series. So we're going to finish that on an even number. So all the world will get back on its correct axis uh, in four weeks' time. It's actually a series called Like a Boss. And uh, just to give you a little heads up, a little teaser for that, God has a lot to say on the subject of money, finances, stuff. And... Uh, <laughs> It's actually one of the things that all of us have in common. All of us interface with money and stuff. And uh, having said that, we don't always operate according to God's principles. And He has a lot to say about it. So we're gonna teach for four weeks because God actually wants you and me to win with money, to actually live financially free, to actually not be someone who finds money complicated or burdensome, but actually someone who gets to a place in their life that actually sees money as a resource, as a tool, as something to extend God's kingdom, as something to do great things in the world. So we're gonna just have a flyover for four weeks looking at things so you can become like a boss when it comes to your finances. And there may be some hard rock music thrown in as well, okay? Just saying, just saying, no promises. Anyway, let's airdrop into the final week of our Road Trip with Jesus series. And I want to, uh, if you've got our uh, Elevate app, you can tap on the Bible tile. It's going to take you to Luke chapter 24. Now, this is actually the last slice, not only of our series, but this is actually the, was the last slice of Jesus' time on this earth. So on, on His public road trip, which went for about three and a half years, uh, this is actually the final thing before He return to heaven. So we're going to just drop into that. Now, to give you the context, Luke was a doctor, a medical doctor. And uh, sometime after Jesus had left the building, Luke was hearing the stories about Jesus' uh, miracles and teaching. Jesus' number of followers was growing. And so Luke decided he was going to take off the doctor hat and put on the investigative journalist hat and go about interviewing eyewitnesses and recording what happened, verifying the stories, uh, record, writing them down. And so actually, thank God He did, so that you and I, even 2,000 years later, can actually have eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. And you know what's great? Not just having access to that. Luke's account of Jesus' life doesn't begin with the words, once upon a time. 
We don't actually put our faith in a fairy tale. We're actually putting our faith in, in the account, the collective account of hundreds of eyewitnesses, people that were there when Jesus taught, people that were there when Jesus healed, even people that were there when Jesus rose from the grave and returned alive to heaven. So unless Luke was writing the first ever recorded incidents of fake news, you and I can be confident that if we believe what Luke wrote, that our faith is based on facts, on reality, from an historical account, not from a fairy tale. So this is picking, let's pick this up and, and I'm gonna pick it up, this is Sunday, okay? Picking it up on what we now call Resurrection Sunday, the actual day that Jesus rose from the grave. And what had happened is some of Jesus' actual closest followers had gone to visit the grave that Jesus had been buried in. And they, their plan was to take him out and, and, and wrap him and, and take him through a, a traditional a ceremonial ritual burial uh, from the tomb. But when they got to the tomb, the tomb was empty. So that has just happened. Luke's recorded the eyewitness accounts of that just happening. And this is the next thing that happened. That same day, that same Sunday, just after Jesus Close followers had gone to the tomb to find it empty. Two of them, two of them, not two of his followers, close followers, just two people were walking to the village Emmaus, about seven miles out of Jerusalem. And they were in deep conversation, going over all these things that had happened. And in the middle of their talk and questions, Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were not able to recognise who He was. Now think about this, if you were God and you just orchestrated the greatest heist that ever been committed in history, that you'd actually made it happen that a dead body had come back to life, how would you have wanted to announce that? I'm thinking something on the scale of Harry and Megan's wedding, something sort of, something global, something big runner, big budget, a lot of eyeballs on that thing. And yet that's not how God played this. How God played this is He sent His Son Jesus just to, just to join a couple of chaps on a road walking to a place called Emmaus. Now here's the thing, this place called Emmaus, the only thing we know about this place today is that it was about seven miles out of Jerusalem. We don't know in which direction, there's no account. This place was so insignificant that, that, now by the way, you can go to that part of the world now and the tourist guides will take you to where they think Emmaus might've been, but it's just a guess because this place was of no significance. Not only was it of no significance, the two people that Jesus kind of jumped in and, and joined their little road trip is two guys. One's name's Cleopas. Maybe we'll just call him Cleo for short, right? But no one knows a thing about him. This is the only time he appears. He's got no backstory. Nothing happened after this. He was just on going for a walk with his mate. His mate, by the way, didn't even get a name. We don't even know who he was. We'll just call him Billy No Name. So Cleo and Billy No Name are going, this is how God decided He was gonna to announce to the world that His Son had just risen from the grave. But it is vital in this moment that we understand that we can expect Jesus in unexpected places. We can just be going about our everyday life because let's face it, most of us have so-called everyday lives. We go up, we go to work, we come home, we cook food, we, we hang out with friends, we just do everyday stuff. And, and one of the problems of that is we can just get on this treadmill and, and stop, ah, 
limit our awareness or limit our ability just to keep an eye out for where Jesus is showing up. And he shows up in unexpected places. Cleopas and Billy No Name. <laughs> and it was all pretty unspectacular. A road to a place that doesn't exist anymore for a couple of mates that just kind of like a Snapchat message, they just kind of appeared and disappeared. And one of the mistakes we can make is we can get so caught up looking for the spectacular that we miss the significant. That not everything is spectacular. Not everything that God is into is Instagrammable. Some of the things that God's into is a bit like, huh? Is that all? But you know what? Sometimes that's all you need. You want Him to show up in your seemingly insignificant moments. And one of the mistakes we make is we crop ourselves out when we've got something we want God to show up in because we say, oh, it's not really a big deal. Surely God's got better things to do. I mean, who am I after all? But if Jesus can show up to Cleopas and some other guy, that same Jesus can show up in your life and your seemingly insignificant things. So please do not say God's no for him. Do not crop yourself out. Do not get so focused on the spectacular that you overlook the significance. Now, something else about this. These two guys were walking away from Jerusalem. They'd left Jerusalem. For them, Jerusalem wasn't just Jesus' seemingly place of defeat, but it was actually for them, it was their place of defeat. Because these were two Jewish men and what, what, what their past and what their life would have looked like up to this time is Jewish people for hundreds of years had been waiting for God to send a saviour, for God to send a rescuer. In fact, for God to send a new king. And this king was gonna come and he was gonna set up shop in Jerusalem and he was gonna rule. They were gonna kick the Romans out, take back their territory, take back their, their birthright and their heritage. And they were waiting for hundreds of years. And all of a sudden, it looked like that day had come. It looked like God had finally got to it and He'd sent His Son, a guy, a, a Saviour, a Messiah, in fact, a king named Jesus. The problem is kings aren't meant to die. In fact, kings are certainly not meant to die on the cross at the hands of the very people that he was meant to have supposedly been sent to overthrow. So it wasn't just Jesus' place of defeat, it was actually their place of defeat. Their dreams, their hopes for generations, when they saw Jesus hanging from a cross and taken down and put in a tomb, that had all happened on Friday in Jerusalem. And so the only thing they could do was just to pick up and head away from Jerusalem. But here's the great news. Even though they were going in the wrong direction, Jesus approached them. And that should mess with some of your heads. Because there's a fairly good chance that some of you have maybe raised, been raised a certain way with a perspective that we actually have to do the turning around and approach Jesus first. We have to actually stop and get our stuff together before we're worthy to come to Him. No, these guys were still going in the wrong direction and Jesus approached them. Jesus approaches people who are going in the wrong direction. That's some of the greatest news any of us can ever hear. 
Because some of you were, and Jesus come found you, and then said, hey, maybe now turn around and follow me. Let's get back because this isn't a place of defeat. It's ultimately, and I'll show you, a place of victory. And not just my victory, but my victory will become your victory. So let's turn around now because there's something better from the place you just left. The dreams you let go, the hopes you let die, the promises you forgot. Some of you may be on heading in the wrong direction now. <laughs> and somehow, maybe even sort of comically, you've found yourself in a church here on a Sunday morning. You're thinking, everyone here looks pretty perfect. Uh, except me. Let, 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 let me... Let, let me peel a few layers off some of the onions that you're sitting alongside. Ain't nobody, ain't nobody perfect here. So if you think you're not perfect and you're here and you're wondering, you, you're in very good company. We've, we've kicked all the perfect people out. They were, they were, they, they, we, we, we couldn't compete. We couldn't keep up. They made us look bad, so we just got rid of them. No one bothered some other church. So Jesus asked uh, Cleo and Billy No Name, what's this you're discussing uh, so intently as you walk along? And they just stood there, long-faced, like they'd lost their best friend. Then one of them, his name was Cleopas, said, buddy, are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened during the last few days? And Jesus said, ah, <laughs> oh, Jesus, he's such, he's such a joker. Ah, oh, well, I don't know, what's happened? <laughs> See, at that moment, Jesus had an incredible opportunity to do the big reveal. Are you the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's going on? Actually, ta-da! <laughs> but He didn't. He didn't do the big abracadabra. He didn't do the big reveal. He didn't do the, the rabbit out of the hat, the jack coming out of the box. He actually kept a lid on things because they had still time on their journey. They still had some way to go. And Jesus doesn't always pluck us out or abracadabra us out of situations because He's often as interested in the journey as He is in the final destination because it's actually in the journey that we grow. It's actually in the journey that we build resilience, determination, patience, forgiveness. Oh, it's hard to say that, the F word. Poor oh, man, tell you what. It's in the journey that those things happen. And some of those things take time and some of those things cause us to, to bump up against things that we have to actually break through. The reason it's called a breakthrough is because there was something in our way that we had to actually break through. But it's those breakthroughs, it's that growth, it's that resilience that's gonna carry us beyond the next destination. If Jesus just airdropped us like, bloop, 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 we would not change. We would not grow. And so He doesn't always do that. And then it makes the actual destination so much sweeter when we've actually had to go through a journey and a process. Uh, my wife, Louisa, is an Australian-born, full-blooded Italian, full-blooded Italian, uh, FBI. Uh, she's in, I'm an IBM, which is an Italian by marriage. And uh, she was 26, at the age of 26, hadn't actually been back to the old country. She was born here, 
90% of her family, and there's a lot of them, those Italians, they're breeders, uh, live back in Italy. And she hadn't met any of them, had never been there, never been to the village where her dad came from, the village where her mom came from. And age 26, I said, sweetheart, we, we gotta go. You gotta, you gotta kind of get back there and connect and meet your family and get back to the, your roots. And so uh, she'd, she'd uh, <laughs> flying wasn't her favourite thing. Let me just put it that way. We'd done a few Melbourne back and Sydney back kind of things, but this is a whole deal, right? And back then, to go to Italy, you flew into Rome, you had to go Perth, Singapore, Singapore, London, which ironically, you kind of flew over Italy to get to, and then uh, London to Rome. So it's a pretty long trip, complicated, a few stops, this and that. And the prospect of that flight freaked Louis out. Eventually, I bought the tickets, didn't tell her, and... Uh, <laughs> We went to the airport one day and we got on a plane and that plane was ultimately gonna get us to Italy. So we sat there and the, 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 the boarding, people are boarding, we're sitting in the seats and I'm hearing this, uh, this noise just nearby and it went like this. <clears throat> Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. <laughs> and I look, and, I, and there's Louie praying, but the only thing she could pray was just Jesus, 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 Jesus. She just kept like, Jesus, Jesus. After about, after about five minutes, I said, sweetheart, I get it. But I think even Jesus is tired of hearing his name right now. <laughs> so she stopped praying and, in, and instead, she has a quite substantial artificial nails, instead sunk her nails, embedded them in my forearm. It was like sitting next to Wolverine in my seat. I lost a lot of blood in that moment. And she did not sleep a wink for any of that journey. She'll tell you the reason she couldn't sleep is because her feet can't touch the footrest at the bottom. She's vertically challenged. She'll tell you that, and she will. Uh, but actually, no, she was just in, in, in panic mode. She white-knuckled it from Perth to Italy. But we spent four weeks in Italy, and those four weeks were transformative. Those four weeks for Louis and, and for me, just so much. And, I, and that's not the moral of the story, but the moral of the story is for everything that Louis eventually experienced, for, for being able to meet so many of her family members for the very first time, people that she felt close to but had never met, to actually go to the village of 500 people where her dad left as a 17-year-old and the village of 200 people where her mum left as a six-year-old uh, to come one-way ticket uh, to Australia. It was, it was a game changer. But Louis would never have been able to experience the destination if she hadn't been willing to go on the journey. And that's often why God doesn't skip steps because he's got some stuff along the journey that are part of what he wants to do in and through us. So Cleo and the other guy said, well, the things that happened to Jesus in Nazarene, of course. He was a man of God, a prophet, dynamic in word, work and word, blessed by both God and all the people. And then our high priests and leaders betrayed him, got him sentenced to death and crucified him. And we had our hopes up that he was the one, the one about to deliver Israel. And hey, now it's the third day since it's happened, but some of our women have completely confused us. Early this morning, they were, were at the tomb and couldn't find his body. And they came back with a story, uh, the story that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of our friends went off to the tomb to check and they found it empty just as the women 
had said, but they didn't see Jesus. These guys are answering Jesus' question, oh, what happened? And they talk about two events. And one of the events happened on Friday and the other event happened on Sunday. The death happened on Friday. The, the, the empty tomb happened on Sunday. The problem for them is they were so focused on Friday that they couldn't see Sunday. And that's a mistake that we make. That's a mistake that too often we can be so focused on Friday that we can't see Sunday. And here's the thing, they are camera one and camera two. And you won't see what's in camera two if you're only panning from camera one. We can be so focused on our pain that we don't see Jesus in our presence. We can be so focused on our past that we don't see Jesus in the present. And so they invited him. There's a few uh, gaps there. Let's just uh, skip ahead. They invited Jesus in. It was late in the day. Invited him into their home for dinner. It's kind of customary thing to do. Wouldn't just leave a stranger out on the stoop. And uh, so Jesus went in with them. And here's what happened. Jesus sat down at the table with them and taking bread, he blessed and he broke it and he gave it to them. And it was at that moment, open-eyed, wide-eyed, they recognized him and then he disappeared. Back and forth they talked, (laughs) didn't we feel on fire as he conversed with us on the road, as he opened up the scriptures for us. Now, some of you don't know this, but my eyesight is terrible, like really bad. And it's been bad from birth. It's a miracle I actually navigated the birth canal and made it out because I could not see a thing, right? And uh, it wasn't until I was probably about, uh, uh, I don't know, maybe about 14 months old and my parents were just confused why I kept on running into walls. And they thought, you know what, maybe we should get his eyes tested. And so for my entire life, I wear contact lenses, that's the thing going on here. You're like, oh, it seems pretty good without glasses. (laughs) No, not really, not really. Edge, edge, count the steps. It's all kind of grid, geofenced. Like (laughs) home in prison. Um, so I, all my life, I've had eye tests, eye tests, eye tests, eye Now, if you haven't, if you had an eye test, what I'm about to tell you, you get this. If you haven't, just let me catch you up. You go to an optometrist or whoever they are and, and go to them and, and the first thing they do is they put you in a seat and they cover one of your eyes and they put a chart up and the chart looks pretty much like this. Universally, it looks pretty much like this. They put a chart up. Now, here's the thing. You, and, you, and you're meant to start, so what, what can you see? And you're meant to pick one. Look, here's the thing. I'm already in trouble before I get past the first line. What I've done though is almost every eye chart that I've ever had has E at the top. So I just go E and I really can't see. I'm not sure. I'm just like, it's like a confident guess, E. And they go, oh, pretty good. Yeah, good. What's next? And I'm like, dang. And then they do this thing. They put you into a different chair and they used to do it manually. Now they've got these machines and they cover one eye in the machine. You can't see that. And then they'll cause you to look at, at squares and circles and triangles and stuff. And, and they've got these two, two lenses and, and they say to you, which one looks better? This one or this one? This one or this one? And I'm sitting there going like, slow down, people. All right, it's like, let me, I think they both look terrible. And they, this one or this one? But what they're trying to do is they're trying to help me, you, the client, get a clearer perspective. And this is exactly what happened in this moment for Cleopas and his mates. And we don't know why they suddenly recognised Jesus. 
okay? Some people think that maybe it was actually when he broke the bread that they saw that he had nail scars in his hands. I don't know. We don't know. What, What we do know is that in that moment, they got perspective and everything changed because here's what they did next. They didn't waste a minute. They were up, they would like dinner, this was the end of the day, Uh uh-uh, no, this was the beginning. Sunday night, just getting started. They were up and on their way back to Jerusalem. They'd encountered Jesus who approached them when they were going in the wrong direction. And as a consequence, they decided, ah, now we get it. Jerusalem wasn't a place for Jesus' defeat and it wasn't a place for our defeat, that that was the birthplace of victory. So we better get back there because we now know that, but there's a whole lot of people back there that they don't know that. There's a whole lot of people that are, that are going in the wrong direction and they don't know that the tomb is empty. They don't know that Jesus rose from the dead. They don't know that Jesus wants to approach them just like he approached us and encounter them and, and have them turn their lives around. They found the 11. And their friends gathered together talking away and they said, it's really happened. The master has been raised up. The only thing that changed for them was their perspective. When they had a clearer perspective and they actually recognized Jesus for who he was, everything changed for them. 